right, here we go. We are up. We are running. And welcome to the You Should Do Comedy podcast. I am your host, Vince Tedesco. Um, many people have told me that I should do comedy. <laughs> Uh, instead, I'm hosting this podcast. Uh, if you don't know me, I produced a uh, a comedy show on Canadian talk radio that streamed nationwide from Vancouver to Nova Scotia. Well, it streamed worldwide, but uh, we showcased the best in Canadian comics from the East Coast to the West Coast and everywhere in between. Uh, that was kind of our our staple, what made our mark. We wanted to give Canadian comics the voices they needed to come on, promote shows, promote whatever they were doing. Uh, give them kind of the opportunity and the recognition that a lot of mainstream outlets don't really tend to do. So that was uh, that show. It was Inside Jokes. It, it, it came to an end this past summer, August 2023. Uh, and everybody kind of says, what's the next move? And if you did radio and, and you kind of had a, a knack for it, I mean, the only real next step would be, yeah, let's do a podcast. So Welcome to the You Should Do Comedy podcast. What is You Should Do Comedy? I mean, everybody that is somewhat funny or has a sense of being funny always gets told, hey, you should do comedy, you should do comedy, kind of where this all stemmed from. But I don't want to just keep this to comedians. I want to open the door and kind of let everybody else uh, in. I'm opening an open invitation to anyone in media and 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 sports and, and anything on the Canadian landscape that I mean, obviously, people are entertaining in, in every way. Uh, social media has obviously shown that, how people can be entertaining. So how often do they really want to be comics? I mean, if you're funny online and you're, you're funny on TV or funny on the air, I mean, could, could you have a solid five? Could you, could you get up on stage and, and talk to an audience about kind of your trials and tribulations and, and make it sort of funny? Could you do comedy? That's kind of what the whole premise is. Yes, we will still be talking to comedians. And obviously, I'll continue to showcase the best that this country has to offer. It's it's kind of been my my footprint over the last eight years, uh, doing a show like Inside Jokes and now transitioning into the podcast world. So, of course, yes, we will still be talking to comics. I'll still be interviewing them. And, and I've always had a great relationship with, with comedians, working with some of the best in this industry and working with some of the greatest, you know, festivals the, this country has to offer. Possibly the best one is Just for Laughs. That's coming to Toronto. Uh, September 21st through the 30th, uh, Just for Laughs Toronto returns. Uh, this episode will be showcasing some of the best artists in that festival, two of them right off the top, uh, both from New York, uh, kind of each cementing uh, a different route in their journey of comedy. Uh, first up, Ariel Elias, Kentucky born and bred, a thoroughbred, uh, if you will, uh, uh, of the art form, now kind of resides in New York, but uh, interesting sort of year for her. She went viral. Uh, after being heckled and, and attacked on stage at a comedy club, a beer can was whipped at her head. So we we dive into that a bit. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of been a, a crazy journey for her. And on the second half of the uh, this episode, uh, old Ottawa export, good old Canadian boy living in New York City, Graham K. He joined us on our last uh, on our last show, and he's back again. He'll be a part of JFL Toronto, and uh, he just kind of has a great sort of look at the world and and how we kind of all got into this industry and, and his, his trials and tribulations in New York city. So, so sit back, relax and enjoy this kind of inaugural episode of some of the best that JFL has to offer for the upcoming festival here in Toronto, Ariel Elias and Graham K both coming at you right now. Enjoy the episode. 
All right, all right, all right. Okay, that was my Matthew McConaughey intro, but uh, thank you very much, Ariel Elias, for doing this. How are things been? Uh, in general, right now, pretty sweaty because it's just been 100 degrees for a few days, but uh, overall, good. You know. Well, I mean, New York based now, but I mean, we had that whole haze thing that was happening from you guys were blaming Canada for a while for all the haze <laughs> that was that was coming in. So who's going to ask? How's the weather now, Trinity in New York? Anything you want to blame on us? So uh, did you guys send the lantern flies? That wasn't you, right? Really? Oh God! And then one thing never stops. Um, there's so many ways we can kind of start off with the podcast, but I mean, it is you know you should do comedy. So the origin story is what Lexington, Kentucky is where it all began. That's where I grew up. Uh, I started stand up in New Orleans. Ah, nobody told me I should do comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so what? That's what kind of drives me. Not drives me like in, in a, a well, it does in a passionate sort of way, but like. The cerebral thought of everybody who wants to approach this industry, where do you think, like, I should do this for a living? So in New Orleans, it started. It started in New Orleans. I think you I, there's there's always a fair amount of delusion involved <laughs> in thinking that not only that you should do this, that your voice is something that everybody should hear, but also to then think that you can make money at it. But I, uh, I, I was a... A senior in college, getting ready to graduate into a recession, <laughs> and I had been a saxophone player, um, hey. but realized in college that I was nowhere near good enough to to take a crack at it, and that I didn't really want to practice as much as I think you probably need to. So right around that time is when podcasts actually started coming out and becoming popular, and I was working in a library. So I listen to a lot. Wow. Saxophone player working in a library. Yeah. It's my way. Of, it's a long way of saying like I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> and the podcast that I was listening to actually was The Nerdist. And they would have, uh, you know, like comedians on who would say like, here's how you start. You just go to an open mic. You write some stuff down. You look up an open mic and you go. Uh, and so I, I just did that. I started writing during my shift. Uh, pretty terrible jokes. I was like doing my best Sarah Silverman impression. I think I had a joke about the movie Teeth that I had just seen on a date. <laughs> um, and and then I, looking back, I thank God we didn't record everything back then because I, I don't think I could handle the cringe of watching my first set. But in my delusional memory, it went really well. Okay. Uh, and I remember had, the club that you first started at? So New Orleans is very unique in that it doesn't really have a comedy club. It's all bar shows. But the bar that I was at was Carrollton Station. They still run a mic every Wednesday night. And uh, and it's super fun because, it, it, you know, it's not like in New York where, where all of the open mics are just comedians and you're kind of saying things to the back of the room. In New Orleans, everybody loves a show and everybody loves a spectacle and a disaster, um, <laughs> especially if it's not weather related. So people would go to open mics and just, you know, people would come in and out. Most people weren't there for the whole thing, but right. it was like a thing to go see and do. Wow. I mean, but did you ever think that, okay, like, you know, those college, I, I, I dabbled in college. I tried it in college. That's it. I'm done with it. Or was it immediately when you were done that first set and you thought, there's something here. I need to do this again. Yeah, it was the latter. It was like, oh, I I think I'm addicted to this feeling. Um, now, it was like the best high. 
Well, I've, yeah, usually that's kind of what is the hook, line, and sinker for every comedian. But for you in, in New Orleans, did you ever now comparing that comedy scene and that comedy culture or lack thereof to Kentucky or you starting to actually get out of your element and doing it outside of the state of Louisiana? Did you ever make it back to Kentucky to do it where you were raised or like I, I, I've been to Ohio a few times, so I kind of know there are some more clumps scattered. I think there's like a funny bone around there, but like, where did it start progress? We are like, yeah, I'm, I'm going on the road now. So in Louisiana, in New Orleans, because it's such a do it yourself scene, I did when I was living there set up with other comedians, we would set up little Southern tours where we hey. would go, we would, you know, Houston was five hours, Austin was seven hours. And then in the other direction, Atlanta was seven hours, but then you could hit like the Gulf Coast and you could set up your own shows in Mississippi that had nothing to do with the comedy club. It was just, you'd find some bar or restaurant and we were all used to doing that. We know how to, we knew how to do that. I didn't do stand up in Kentucky until I moved to New York. Oh. And uh, that's when I started getting into the more traditional traditional quote unquote, because I don't know if there is anymore, but the traditional yeah. route of standup of trying to feature for people, trying to host at clubs, trying to get in at clubs. And uh, my first time performing back in Kentucky was featuring for Greg Warren, who is so funny and the epitome of like a comedian who has been at it for years. Um, so he's, he, he knew that I was from Lexington, Kentucky. And so he asked if I wanted, he said, I'm going to be there this date. Do you want to come? And that was the first time I think that I really performed there. Now, is that all done? I mean, your connections, getting out there, getting into the scene. Uh, is that like through social media? Is that like you're just hitting people up on DMs? Hey, can we get on your show? Hey, can we perform at your place? I mean, you become, I think in this day and age, everybody is now turning into a self-promotional machine. Yeah. So you you kind of need to do that. For you starting off, I mean, we're talking what almost ten years ago. Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Is that still is that still kind of steady as the same process? No, it's changed so much. Uh, definitely in the beginning, it was you know it was who you who you met at shows. Right. Um, you'd say you know I have a car. <laughs> Can I come <laughs> open for you? I'll drive you. Uh, having a car. I think when people are like, what advice would you give to comedians starting out? It's like, if you want to do the road, get a car because yeah. you will have That's the golden ticket. <laughs> you will have more opportunities than anybody else. It almost doesn't matter how you do on stage. As long but as not only the car. the car, it's the drive from one place to the other that you're spending in a car with uh -huh. other comedians that just is building ammunition for you. Uh, <laughs> um, and, yeah. Are but, you a good hang? Is like a yeah. Like but I mean, yeah, that's, that's a, you kind of have, and, and I, and I've seen this a lot lately more, especially in this whole podcast era. Do you have a comedy tribe, a kind of comedy clique, some, some peeps you kind of love to hang with or do podcasts with, or just sit in the back of the club with that you get to shoot shit off of each other and kind of spitball. Is there a comedy I, clique? I, I wouldn't say I have. I think there are some people who are like, these are my three best friends right. and we do so much things, so many things together. I don't think I have that. I, I do have, you know, especially anybody who lives in my neighborhood, anybody where it's not too difficult to, to hang with them, where it's not a lot of logistics, those have coincidentally become my very close friends. I do have uh, two friends who I started with in New Orleans 
who we ran a show together. We used to write together. And then they moved, they both moved to New York separately. That was really nice. And then they left New York separately and now they're back. So, so those two, it's Molly Rubin Long and Julie Mitchell are, uh, and unfortunately they do both live in Brooklyn, which is maybe their (laughs) worst trait, but, um, but those, I would say like, they're my two, like if something happens, right. That's who I text. Ah, okay. Those are like your go-tos. Those are like, those are my go-tos. If I'm stuck on something, um, we've worked on packets together, you know, it's, those are, those are my girls. Those are your girls. Now, obviously the comedy scene in New York is a whole different beast. I mean, um, why was that move critical for you? I mean, obviously tried, tested, and true, the art form lies in stand-up comedy. But I always ask comedians sort of the same thing. Um, why New York over LA or why LA over New York? Um, for you, what was that reason? Is it more the craft or is it more the stage time? I mean, what sold yeah, you on it- NYC? It depends on your goals. I think you have to ask yourself when you're thinking about leaving the small community that you're in, what do I want out of this? And for me, the answer was, I want to be as good at stand-up as I can possibly be. And I think that involves being around people who are so much better than you all the time mm-hmm. and and stage time. Yeah, especially at that point. if you're, I think if you're less than 10 years in, just the act of being on stage is so important because you, even if you think you're comfortable on stage, there's so many, you just become so much better when you're, when the stage feels non-threatening and it takes (laughs) a long time, especially for me, it took a really long time to feel that way. Um, How so? Okay. Now I'm without getting into too much, but I mean, non-threatening, please define. I mean, it's not that you were scared to do stand up or speak in front of people, but no, I for sure was. Really? Yeah. Every time I got on stage for, I'd say, the first six years felt like I'm overcoming a fear each time. Wow. Usually it's like those extroverts that need to have their voice, you know, heard or uh, I got funny shit. Huh? You're very <laughs> introverted. Extrovert. Well, I mean, that's the that's the flip side of comedians. A lot of people don't know that. They're not necessarily always the funniest people in the room or the loudest people in the room outside of their setting. So. Yeah for you to be on stage and stuff like that and then to still be kind of frightening. I mean, is it still frightening or no? You've kind of conquered that. No, fear. Now it's, now it's, uh, <laughs> especially now that like, I mean, I, I, without spoiling anything, I guess, like now that, um, maybe like one of the scariest things that could have happened to me on stage has happened. It's like, well, it's fine. What else is going to happen? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's not much you can come from that. And I mean, I know, we're kind of beating around the bush, but I mean, it's been almost a year, you were saying, kind of mm-hmm. kind of off air before we started. But that whole experience, I mean, yes, everything that came with it, the good and the bad. Uh, but even watching you and 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 your stand-up now and the material sort of made it in, is it still in your act that material of kind of what happened to you that night, or is is it time for you to let it go? Because I don't want someone ever and i would never want this for any comic to be considered like the it person or the it yeah. girl or the, like i'm just known for getting a beer can thrown up my fucking head like that's a ridiculous when it happened b the media coverage when it happened everybody was like pro comics after that and you were kind of the poster child for it but almost a year now after the fact is it still do people still come up to you or like hey are you the girl or as as has america moved on 
There's a bit of a, so to, just to catch anyone up who doesn't know. <laughs> well, I if was, yeah, you could Google it, but yes, okay. you were on yes. stage. Yes. But and I, you could tell the story. I got a beer can thrown at me while I was on stage. Uh, it, it didn't hit me. So I picked it up and I chugged it and then a video of it went really viral. So um, the, the material itself, it will stay in until I record a special. Right. Um, it's not. It's not very long, it, and I put it. I very specifically put it in the middle of my headlining set. It's not what I open with. It's not what I close with because right. I think what you open and close with are the things that you find the most important. Um, nice. So I like that. I don't find it the most important. I will say it took me a long time to figure out what I had to say about it because it's really hard to talk about what's happening. For most people, it's much easier to tell a story of what happened because you know how you feel about it right, and you know okay. what your perspective is. So I struggled for a long time with what is the part of this that I want to address and and talk about. Um, and I didn't want it to come off with anger or um, any revenge because I think that gives the incident and the people who did it too much power. I wanted it to be like, here are the funny things about this. Isn't this <laughs> like, cause it's insane. It was, but I mean, here's how I see it because you were just doing your thing on stage. Right. And for some reason or another, it became political, which you're not a political comic. No. And, and none of that ever came into the fold and heckling ensued. The heckling made it political. And the great thing about comedy and your comedy, essentially, and and it just shows how well you kind of are groomed and garnished as a comedian. You brought the entire room right back to comedy again as soon as you picked up that beer can, which was chucked at your head, and started chugging it like a boss and like, fuck it, let's just keep going. And as much as I mean, your country is divided just as much as my country is. There's a lot of politics going on in Canada as much as there are in America and, and all the, you know, delusional sides from, you know, e either party. But no matter what happened through all of that shit, comedy came right back to the fold and you were able to kind of get the cart back on the horse and, and, and keep chugging. For you as a comedian, how often do you find yourself that you need to do that? A, on stage, but more importantly, in kind of your everyday life, just put the cart right back on the horse and kind of when things go awry, Hey, let's, hmm. let's get focused on, let, let's get, let's get back to the game plan at hand here, which was essentially a, your career or B you owning that room again. Like, has that yeah, ever come I up? Mean, in I, had, I had merch to sell. You know? <laughs> yeah, and there you go. What, what the is closer. the merch that you sell? <laughs> I sell at the time I was just selling stickers. Now I also sell koozies. <laughs> Hey, marketing genius. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, that's an interesting question because so for one, I think I grew up because I grew up in the South, I grew up with people who were very different from me and who had very different beliefs and backgrounds and experiences. So not only does that I think a lot of people don't have that experience. I think most people 
do grow up in a bubble or experience a bubble, 100%. which isn't bad. It's just that it lends itself to a different ability. Yeah. Um, but it also often made me feel like an outsider as somebody who was kind of on the fringes looking in. And I think having that experience is what helps you when something is happening, stop and look and observe and think like, what is the best move here? Yeah. It doesn't always happen. Um, no. It doesn't always work. I've lost my shit on Netflix. Sorry, I don't know if I can say shit. Yeah, I've, go ahead. I've, okay, I've <laughs> lost my shit on people before, um, as I think we all have. And you learn from that. But the other thing of, of you know, translating that to real life is I think, um, you know, I, I've been in New York for for nine years now. And when COVID hit, we didn't we stayed here and we live in very close to sort of the epicenter that was hard in March and April of 2020 and for a long time after that and I think it was like this moment where all of us had to stop and reassess everything and that was a big um, exercise in figuring out how to adapt and recognize our surroundings had changed but also to not let it control our entire lives. Very well said. I mean, yeah, I can just tell by you at, talking to you now, watching stand up. I mean, you're an empathetic person as much as an introvert as you claim to be. And, and, and you do stand up comedy. You have, you have empathy and, and it shows for that. But more importantly, you have empathy for your art form because you can bring kind of choreograph that room exactly where you need it to be again. Um, I kind of want to end off every pod with a kind of one-on-one with one is one-on-one, but I mean a little more of a, a rapid fire question, so to speak, a little bit of a rundown on questions, answer them. The first word that kind of comes in your head, kind of a best of, but, um, what was your favorite comedian, comedic influence growing up? Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman. Yeah. Favorite stand-up comic today. Roy Wood Jr. Ooh, nice. Good choice. Uh, best club to perform at. Gotham. In the uh, city. What? In the city. In New York in, City. In, in New Gotham. York City. Yeah, Gotham in New York City. Well, I know the club, but for everybody else listening. Uh, your best set to date. Yours personally. Your best set to date. My best set. One that you kind of hold to kind of pin up and like, I was, I'm proud of that one. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel. Well, yeah. Hey, that happened all that same crazy week. So yeah, that was cool. That must have been a cool experience. Late night TV. Yeah, that was super cool because I've been trying to get on late night for a while. I've sent in tapes and I've gotten told first it was yes and then it was actually no. Um, and then also late night has changed so much where for some late night shows, it means nothing or you have to fly yourself out and put yourself up. But Jimmy Kimmel doesn't really have stand up very much. And I think they don't know that we get treated terribly now. So they actually like <laughs> flew me out and put me up. And it was a really lovely experience. And it uh-huh. felt like a like a throwback to the 90s. Um, favorite joke of yours? Uh, probably whatever I've most recently written. Everything okay. else I'm sick of at any given moment. Your best traveling road buddy. Sean if Donnelly. you had to. Who? Sean Donnelly and Molly Rubin Long. Oh, okay. Good, good. Uh, best place to eat on the road? And there's probably many, but I mean, does one kind of stick out? 
Any greasy spoons out there you want to pro- can props yeah, to? Yeah, there's a, I'm just thinking there's this place in Wilmington, North Carolina that I was just at. I can't remember what it was called. They were Do you remember what place. you ate? Yeah, I ate a burger um, and I had arugula on it. It was like a midnight burger, which is almost never, almost never involves vegetables. You want wow, it to, but it never does. But they had like arugula and fancy stuff on their burger, but it wasn't a pretentious burger and it was 10 bucks. Hey, not bad. Okay. Um, best stand-up that you've seen coming up through the ranks? Someone we should look out for. Uh, yeah, Lisa Traeger is a uh, is phenomenal and so fun on stage. I think uh, I think Jordan Jensen is uh, is somebody who has a really unique voice in stand-up and is unflappable on stage. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you, you find that standups now? I mean, you're 12 years in the game, but I mean, if you had to do it all over again, who's got the easier path? People coming up now. I mean, you got shows like America's Got Talent and I mean, they canceled Last Comic Standing. But I mean, the the arc way of progressing in your career um, through social media and stuff, do you find it easier now or do you find it? No, nothing's easier for anybody. It's just... Um, any any era that we're in will always favor one thing more than others. Right now, it favors anybody who can use Adobe Premiere, um, <laughs> but it's it's always hard. Yeah, <laughs> it'll well, always I mean, be hard. Th- there's always a struggle. Yeah, that's a great way to kind of put it. No matter what time or place you're or, or era you're in, there's always a struggle. Uh, I mean, you'll always see like TikTok stars who 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 have a million followers and then they get on stage and eat it. And for well, those of us who have gone a different route, it is one of the more satisfying things to see, I will <laughs> say, because it's very humbling. But it's a reminder of, uh, you know, sure, you can get a social media following and you can get booked, but it doesn't mean you can do this. No true words have ever been spoken. And uh, last question, best advice you ever got in this industry? Eat shit in the dark for as long as you can. Wow. Who, who so- told you that? Scotland Green, who ran the open mic at Carrollton Station. Eat shit in the dark for as long as you can. Yeah. get Don't be in a rush to, to have eyes on you. Oh. Just get good while nobody is watching. Make all your mistakes while nobody is watching until you can't handle it anymore and you have to make the jump. But until then, just be patient. I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, RLIS, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, you're part of JFL in Toronto. Uh, you were part of JFL in Montreal. Uh, your Canadian exposure, how much of you, you kind of had? You mentioned uh, kind of off, like how well do you know Canada? Very little. Uh, Very I'm little. learning a lot. I'm learning about uh, where where different cities are that have comedy clubs and what provinces they're in. Yeah, because but... you're coming in for Just for Last Toronto and then you're going to Winnipeg, Manitoba. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yep. is kind of like saying, I'm coming to New York and then going to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was in, when I was in Toronto in January, that was my first time ever coming to Canada. And your thoughts on the city? I loved it. Everybody is, you know, not everybody, but everybody I came into contact with was, was uh, friendly and happy to talk and seemed genuinely smart. Uh, the audiences were great the audiences were both smart and funny or smart and fun which is really difficult to come by uh and uh and i had the best uh noodle soup of my life on that street that's just like all asian restaurants and and okay so you're a comedy bar Mm -hmm. 
So the street would have been bluer. You're probably ate in like Koreatown, little Korea. Maybe it was, yeah. I, you know, I had been recovering from a stomach virus and ah. that was the first real meal I was able to eat. And it was, it was like, it was, it was the best. And I, I'm excited to come back to Toronto, hopefully healthy. Yeah. You're going to be back at comedy bar, the Rivoli and the garrison yes. as part of JFL Toronto. Uh, yeah, September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Right, coming up, coming up. And then, and then, yeah, I'll be in Winnipeg, Manitoba <laughs> the next week, September 28th and 30th, 3:30 at that rumor. I don't want to scare call. you, but it'll be it'll be a bit of a culture shock. I've heard, I've only heard bad things. Well, I mean, I don't want to <laughs> about Winnipeg, but I mean, it's 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 got its pluses and it's got its negatives. I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, and you're and you're going in September. Yeah, which is better than going in February. That's also what I'm <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I can't wait to see you in Toronto. I'll be sure to catch up and uh, good luck on the, on the new kind of uh, uh, tour that you have going A through JFL, Winnipeg, and then beyond. Who knows after that? You're going places, kid. We're going. <laughs> We're going. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Vince. Welcome, 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 Mr. Graham K. How are things going? Going great. Thanks for having me, man. Are, are, you, are you officially are you officially calling yourself a New Yorker now? Is that kind of um, I don't know. If, I definitely am a Canadian who lives in New York, but I've been here for like thirteen years. So yeah, you know, I mean, you have a route. You have a subway stop. You got a yeah. You you know the system in and out pretty much, don't you? I know the system. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I feel it feels like home for sure. When I land, you know what it is. It's like when you land when the plane lands. You think to yourself, I'm home, or do you think, like, oh, I'm in New York? Like, I don't call Ottawa home anymore. I say at my parents' house. So, <laughs> well, or, I mean, you know. yeah, that's kind of where it all started in Ottawa. Um, yeah. Looking back at it now, what was the last thing you were actually there? I mean, I go back all the time. I'm not like a psycho. I go home, visit my parents, and uh, I love Ottawa. Um, and um, a lot of great comedians kind of came out of Ottawa. We got uh, Norm Macdonald, uh, uh, John Doerr. We got um, uh, Tom Green. There you we go. Got, see, when we you got, say a lot, we you got, can't stop me on the Angelo. Didn't Angelo Taruka's come out of Ottawa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we got... And, both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, and I'm just got, asking because if you've ever been... Like, if you've gone back, do you still do the circuit? Do you still do a pop-in every now and then at a club down there? Yeah, of course. I go I go do... Uh, I'll do uh, Yuck Yucks. Uh, Howard Wagman is the manager there. He's, like, really good to me. And, uh, you know, we'll do it. Yeah, it's a great club. I love that place. Now, from, from when you started way back when... And, I mean, hey, congrats. I just saw that, you know... What is it? Ten years now that you've been doing this full time, as you kind of mentioned. Uh, a ten yeah, year ten years, ten years full time, ten years without a day job. One of my, it's my one of my greatest achievements. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, the I'm, I, I worked at a restaurant for six years before that. Dan Aykroyd is the other comedian from Ottawa that I couldn't. Oh, remember. you had to Google it. Yeah, well, I just couldn't remember his name. I just, for some reason, under pressure, I was like, Dan Aykroyd is he's forgettable. Yeah, you can remember. Well, look, I, 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 I drink a lot. What can you say? You know, yeah, it comes with the um, job. Comes yeah, the territory. Uh, trying to, I, I've been drinking less lately. I feel good about it. Well, that's good. You know, I, mean, I, I am, I'm, you know, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. You were, you've been drinking less and you're feeling good about it. I mean, is this kind of a goal that you have in mind? Yeah. I want to, 
I've been pretty like I've, I've never been an alcoholic or anything like that, but like definitely like you said with the territory, it's like ten years of being on the road, ten years of hanging out in comedy clubs, ten years of like drinking like um a college kid, like not not that much, but more than a regular person, like three times a week is a lot. And uh three, four times a week, I'm just you know, trying to be an adult. I'm tired. I, I wanna treat my I'm eating I'm eating kale, I'm waking up earlier. I'm like exercising. I want to be in this for the young home. That's itself when you're drinking your face off at night, though. But that's what I'm saying. I'm drinking less. Okay. Well, that's good. That's yeah. Good. I want to be slinging these zingers for longer. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, hey, you, you've, you're, you're in the club, are you not? You're in the 40 club? Oh, yeah. I'm in the club, buddy. You're yeah. in the club. Hey, I'm in the club too. I got to watch what I, yeah. I mean, I've cut down on my pastas, I've cut down on all yeah. my sauces. You gotta yeah. watch that shit when we're we, when we reach that that mi- I mean everybody's got a milestone I guess I don't know yeah. I mean for girls it's what sweet sixteen for guys it's twenty one okay okay and then you become in yeah. the adulting era and then it's like the thirties and now we've hit the forty club but uh yeah but getting back to auto what I kind of want to mention I'm like hey do you remember the restaurant the name do you want to give them yeah Morocco Morocco Chocolat they don't exist anymore it was ah. this like rich lady I think she got like a bunch of money in, in like a divorce settlement and she like you know had been out to dinner like every night of her life and so she's like I'm a foodie and those are the most hilarious people when they open a restaurant because they have no idea the grinds and like what it takes and how much money like how you're gonna lose like like I don't know I you're what are you Italian I'm Italian yeah yeah you're like and I gotta cut down on the pasta and 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 the sauce, yeah, so, yeah. So I assume you know about the restaurant Your industry. Labor costs got to keep them down. Yeah, yeah. And she, they, she just got crushed. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I told this on Instagram the other day, but it's a true story. It's like I, so I've been. I worked in restaurants in New York. I worked in restaurants uh, in Ottawa, and I worked in restaurants in Toronto. I I was living in New York for a while, but then I had to move back because then I didn't have a work visa. I, I punched a cop. Yeah, whatever it happens to everyone. Um, yeah, yeah, and so I moved back to Toronto, start comedy in Toronto, um, and I like uh, I work at this restaurant, and um, I'm only working two days a week because comedy is covering most of my bills, but I still need like the two days oh. a week to like cover cover my rent kind of thing. Right, and then I'm like, um, I get a road gig, and it's like <clears throat> ten days long. And then during that road gig, my agent calls me and said, I booked a commercial, which, you know, they pay a lot. And so I was like, oh, my God, like I had all these other gigs lined up, like road gigs for the rest of the year. And I was like, I don't need a job for like the next eight months. I should try and quit and just see if I can make a run at it. And I'm right. like, I can finally do this. I can finally quit. You know, and I, I've been dreaming I've every for like, you know, 10 restaurants, just people yelling at me. You know, uh, I'm a bad server. I have a bad memory. I can't read my own writing. I'm like the worst waiter in the world. The cooks hated me because I they'd have to make everything twice because I like we always get it wrong. And managers I mean, hated bad. me. I was pretty bad. bad yeah? I mean, I was like obviously not not everyone not that bad, but like I had some doozy mix ups that like I still think about. Um, like anyway, like one time I like. I dropped, I dropped, uh, like one table had a salad and one table had a steak and I dropped the checks on the wrong table and the salad, the steak guy was like, sweet. And he like, didn't, I don't have to pay for the steak. And he just, he paid for the salad and left. And I like swiped his card and everything. And I was like, and then I was like, oh my God. And he left. And I was like, 
if the steak guy, if the salad guy realizes that he's paying for a steak, I'm going to get fired because I have to tell my manager. And if I have one more pro, like one more mix up, he's going to fire me. He said that. Right. So I'm like, and how am I, you know, and, and so luckily the guy didn't notice and he paid for a salad and he paid a steak price. He just like, he didn't notice the steak price on his bill. Yeah. They just, he just gave me his card oh, and I just swiped ooh, it or whatever. I and I was like, Ooh, you know, and like a bunch of stuff like that. And anyway, and, and, and you know, and like, I'd like some manage some model restaurant managers are like, you know, they're, they're not the best people. Like, and so uh, they're, anyway, I got like, they're just mean to me a lot. And I was going to be like, F you, F you, you're cool. You're cool. F you, F you, like one of those big speeches. Yeah, and I like, I'm gone for, I'm gone for 10 days. I don't, I don't need this job. I'm going to, I'm going to walk into Morocco, Chocolat in Toronto in, um, what's that fancy neighborhood in, in like Yorkville in Yorkville. And, um, and I walk in there, the manager had been fired and the entire staff had been replaced. Nobody knew who I was. I was what? like, I'm here the to quit. Got flipped around. Yeah. I'm like, I'm here to quit. They're like, who are you? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> damn, I never got my moment. I just turned around and walked away. I mean, yeah. And you kind of wanted the epic speech, but in a way, you got off scot free. Um, but with with Ottawa starting up, how much has that changed now to when you go back to Ottawa? Are the clubs still the same? Do you still get the same vibe of crowds? Club clubs are the same. Crowds are crowds are great. Ottawa has some of the best crowds in the world. Like, uh, really great crowds. Like smart but willing to laugh. Like everyone in Ottawa is pretty educated. Like everyone, if you work for the government, you probably know like two languages. Right. You know, everyone's like, they get smarter stuff and they're also not pretentious. And so they laugh. They're not like, they don't have like a stick up their ass. So it's like, it's a nice, I like it. A nice mix of crowds. Um, there's, um, yeah, I don't know. The, the club, they like the scene there has grown. Like and most comedy has just blown up in the world in the past 20 years. Like I, first time I went on stage was 22 years ago. And then I took like, it took me like five years to get going again. But, um, at that well, time, you could only get up in Ottawa. It was at Yuck Yucks, the old Yuck Yucks at the okay. hotel on Albert Street. And amateur, um, night? amateur night. You can only do, <laughs> there's no open mics. You can only do amateur night. And what that means is instead of doing an open mic in front of 10 people at a coffee house or like a, a bar, right. you're going up in front of 200 people at a comedy club, sold out. Everyone is, and it's like amateur night. So it's like $5 tickets. So everyone is young. Everyone's like a college student. Yeah, 200 people so for an amateur night? I mean, yeah, they would sell it out. <gasps> yeah. And there's only one amateur, you know, there's like one amateur night, uh, like a week. And there's no only, there's so many people who wanted spots. So many like open mic new comics in Ottawa. that are trying to right, start that you could only get up one time a month so that you could only perform once a month. So the maximum amount you could perform a year is 12 times a year. And then I go to New York and I, uh, you could do. 10 open mics in you could do 15 in a week if you wanted so it was like obviously the uh abilities are going to be different if you move to like a place like that do you remember your first set do you remember kind of like your opening joke yeah yeah i was i was i was it's like i was so bad <laughs> i bombed so hard dude i like i i mean john door was the host hey he he must have been like two years three years in comedy 
right. so funny at that point, still so funny. And so he's like, um, he's like, dude, uh, you can, you can like look at if I'm like, what if I don't remember my set? Cause they give you five minutes. I'm like, that is so long. Like that's like a million years when you first start. <laughs> Especially when you're bombing. And you, th- and you think you're so, I'm so green. I'm like, well, I'll just write 15 minutes of material. So when I start, I already have 15 minutes. Like you don't understand how comedy works. That's not how it works. <laughs> you have to like, it takes probably three to four years to write your first 15 minutes. You would say real. that long. Yeah. Yeah. It takes at least, you, I mean, if you're, if your first year comic says they have five minutes, I'm like, I doubt it, but let's see. Okay, yeah. I um, mean, everybody's got uh, bravado these days with social media, so. Totally. You people post whatever and, like, yeah, you know, and maybe it's okay. I'm but hilarious. Like, Boom. Put me on but, stage. like, yeah, totally. And it's totally, we. it's made, it's to make comedy a little different. But, um, yeah, so, anyway, I was like, well, I got, I got enough. I got enough material. So, but what if I forget? Because I got, I got a lot of stuff here. And he's like, you can, John Doerr's like, oh, you can, like, look at your notes. You can, they don't care. I'm like, Oh, awesome. Thanks dude. I go up there. First joke is about like my dad, how he's so hairy. He doesn't need a shirt. You can just spray paint different <laughs> shapes on him, And he'll have like a different sweater each day. Like the worst joke <laughs> that I think that was the joke. There's no punchline, barely a setup. What is that? What even is that? Obviously that bombs. And then, uh, and then the second joke is just as bad. Third joke, just as bad. I pull up my, my little sheet and I start shaking and you could see the sheet. And I'm like, this stinks. And then I bombed and I like left, went back to the green room. And I was like, thank God. No, I thank God. Nobody saw that. My girlfriend was like, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, nothing. And she was like, that's where we hang out every night. You don't hang. I'm like, nah, I'm good. And, um, so you didn't tell anyone. I, I didn't want it. I didn't want anyone to come. Cause I might bomb. Right. And so like, I leave the green room, like, thank God no one saw that. And then in the back of the room with her mouth open is my girlfriend. She just sort of figured it out. Cause I would been mentioning comedy and um and she was like and then um dumbfounded he was like that's how i know i still i loved you because that's the moment that's how i know i still love i loved you because i was still attracted to you after watching that um and then Thanks, i guess I don't, what do you yeah you're that? like what you're like what <laughs> and then and then we went to like we went to different schools i i went to went to university i went to acadia in um nova scotia and she went to mcgill in montreal uh like uh, like a week later kind of thing right and then we we stayed long distance and she came to visit me and she was like this is like a couple months later everything was not the same after that set she came (laughs) to visit me after like a couple months and she took the train because she was afraid to fly so it's like i don't know like a 20-hour train ride something insane and um she gets off the train in nova scotia she's like I was like, how was the ride? She was like, you know, it was okay. I met the funniest little guy, the funniest guy. I'm like, uh-huh. She's like, he, he's from England. I'm like, okay. She goes, he goes, he, instead of, um, I'm like, uh, she, she goes, inst- instead of sneakers, he says trainers. <laughs> Isn't that so cute? He's so cute. I'm like, uh-huh. Oh, She's okay. like, oh, it's not like that. <laughs> We're just friends. Anyway, they just got divorced. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. They, she ended up yeah, marrying dude. that guy. 
Yeah. And now. Yeah. Thanks to my open mic, my first night of comedy. I bombed so hard. She, <laughs> I so I bombed so hard. She married an Englishman. Was the goal of yours to do comedy or was it to lead to like being an actor or something? Or was, I mean, obviously it's stand up. You're, you're still strong and, you know, going strong right now. But I mean, did you ever feel that shift that you could get more by maybe booking a few more commercials or did one kind of lead the, the, the way in your career? So I just want to see if I could do it. I just had to do it. I had to try. I had to try. I had to, I had to try. I would say I had more of a pull to do stand up than I did to have sex for the first time. <laughs> I was like so scared of like sex or whatever and like what it entails. And I was like, but I, I, I knew I needed to like have to, I had to do comedy. And, um, you know, and I've done, I've done stand up, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of times now. And right. I, I'm still a virgin. So I did, I was at absolute comedy yeah, and that's like one of the hottest there. clubs. It's, it's like one of like, it ha- there's, it has the best setup in terms of sound and positioning of the stage and light. It's so like the crowds are just so hot there because it's set up properly because laughter is right. contagious. So it makes the contagion spread best there. And so I did not know I, you can't, if you're auditioning, you can't in Canada for something and you send somebody a tape, a lot of places won't accept it if it has absolute in the background because it's too easy of a crowd. And I did not know that. So I I crushed and I was like, well, I thought I did anyway, but I'm sure I did at least pretty good uh, for looking back on it. And I was like, I think I'm ready for Letterman. And so I got (laughs) an under the, I, I got some, I just moved to New York and worked under the table in restaurants and like tried to make it. And I didn't really understand like the work visa situation. I I, I just thought I could be on Letterman and, um, And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's some balls though, Graham. Yeah. Yeah. And then I spent five years in New York as like, uh, like working under the table at, uh, in like restaurants. Um, and then you the job I had around? before that was that, did you bounce around also in New York as well? I mean, club to club night to night. Yeah. I liked it. I do. I try to do 14 sets a week. 14. That was the magic number for you with also yeah, minimum, maintaining a minimum, job. Minimum 10, minimum 10. Yeah. As soon as I got off work uh, and I would just go hit up the open mics on the weekends, I would bark, stand on the street corner, hand out tickets for stage time. <laughs> and, uh, and then, then uh, so I would, I remember I would work, I worked at a bar on, on uh, the weekend uh, and I did the day shift. And then I would, uh, as soon as I got off after working a full shift. Right. Uh, I would walk two blocks down and hand out tickets for three hours on the street, on the street corner. And then I would do that's for two separate five minutes sets. And, but I would, but they'd be in front of like a full audience. Right. Just to get the so crowd that was really, back. It was really, well, not to get the crowd back. I would be doing check spots. So when they hand out the checks, it's the worst spot. Uh, in New York, we have something called check spots and it's you, so you basically throw like a lamb to the wolves. Um, and that's like a, a new comic when they're dropping the checks and everyone's doing math and not looking at you. Right. Uh, so I would do that, but at least you could get like a group of people. And the point is it's a paid audience. They're, they're comp, they're there to see comedy and I've been doing open mics all week. So it's good to get a read of like 
real audience. Not open mics don't have real audience. They have other comedians looking at their notes in the audience, not paying attention to you. <laughs> so you get to practice your jokes, but you don't get a really good read on them because no one is listening to you. Correct. Um, and they've all heard you're doing the same circuit with all those open mic comics. So they've heard that joke, that routine 14 times that week already. So they don't care. So it's important to get in front of new paid audience. So that's why it was worth it for me to stand on a street corner for three hours every night or not well, two nights a week, two, three nights a week doing it. Um, but yeah, it was just like seven days a week, just grinding it out for five years. And then uh got arrested for like my friend was doing graffiti. Two cops. Yeah, t- my friend was doing graffiti. We left the bar and he, and two two plainclothes police officers got up behind us and beat us up. And I went to jail for four days. And then um And I you didn't have papers. Time. No. But I was like on a tourist visa, so it wasn't illegal. And then okay. the uh, I was like kind of in limbo with that. And then I got a Conan audition and it was illegal for me to do Conan, even if I got, if I, you know, did the, like won the audition. Right. So my two, my, like, I was thinking, always thought of it as like comedy university and right. then I would figure it out. And I was like, did five years. That's like a degree is like four years. And I was like, I have this, I'm good enough to be at least audition for Conan, but I can't take it. I, I tried for the past three years to get a work visa. Can't do it. Or past five years to get a work visa. Can't do it. Um, I got into some like legal trouble. It got expunged, but it was like, could have, could, it could possibly mess with a record or like getting a work visa in the future. And it was like, I already had trouble coming back into the country and it was tough for me to get into the country anyway. And now there's like this like record. So it'd be harder for me to sneak into the country every six months. So I like moved to Toronto. I was an open micer. And uh yeah, and started comedy again. And that's it. Now I'm here. I'm doing it. You still talk to the guy I got pinched with? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a little bit. I see them on Facebook sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh just for laughs coming up on what? Uh 21st? Through the yeah, I know I'm I'm doing I'm doing um You're at Comedy Bar, you're at the Garrison, you're at That's right. I got twenty the And the Riverly. Twenty six, the twenty sixth. The 27th and the 29th of September are my solo Just for Laugh shows. Come out and see them. Um, I'm going to be doing my 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 one-man show, Pete and Me. It's about uh, growing up with uh, my autistic brother, taking care of him, what that means for the future of my life when my parents pass away. And uh, it sounds depressing, but it's not. But it's, not. it's fun. It's wholesome and fun. Um, 26, 27, 29, JFL 42, Graham K. Tickets are at Graham K dot com that's graham spelled like the cracker k-a-y awesome graham thanks so much for your time today thanks for doing this thank you so much for having me man i really i really appreciate it vince no problem we'll chat soon take care we'll see take you care. Care. that was it for episode one under our belt so to speak uh no nobody died which was good that's always always fun but thank you for listening um more comics from the jfl uh, showcase uh They'll be coming up, but uh, I thank you again for listening. Please tag, follow, share, five-star review, all that fun stuff that every other podcast tells you to do. Uh, I would be no different, uh, so I'm telling you to do the same, but I don't know that whole jargon as of yet. I mean, it's my first rodeo at this stuff, so let me uh, let me get my feet wet, uh, as they say. But yeah, support of any kind would be so grateful. Thank you all 
for tuning in to the You Should Do Comedy podcast. I'm your host, Vince Tedesco, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.